Hey, this is Steve with High Stakes with Steve Rosenberg. Look, we all know that life is not about a rule book and someone to tell you what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong. And if you're an entrepreneur, there is no one to tell you anything until you've probably done it wrong. This show is all about learning from the people that have gone down the path to show you what you can start doing. So please make sure that you like, share, and subscribe to this channel. And if you want to know more information, go to my website, steverosenberg.com, and check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of High Stakes with Steve Rosenberg. Of course, I'm your guest, Steve Rosenberg. Uh, but uh, this is the show that we talk about real life, real business, and most importantly, real solutions. Now, I am amazing. Uh, let me just say I'm excited to have the guest on today because I've been hoping to get him on before my mastermind. He's going to be a speaker at my mastermind in Houston. But as a kid growing up, playing sports, watching everything, then learning so much about mindset, strategies, success. This is a guy that his name has always floated back and forth, but you never really knew what he did. You just kind of heard the name and then he would kind of disappear, at least in, to my level. He was much higher level, of course, of what he did. But I've learned that whenever you look at anyone successful in life, I don't care what they do. I don't care if they are a sports athlete, if they are a business person, they always have a team of experts behind them. It's the behind the scenes people. And myself, I've been coached and mentored for the last 20 years. And the one thing I've learned is that had I not taken the steps to ask for help and to try to be better, there's no way that I would be here today. There's no way that I would be talking to the gentleman that I have on the show. And there's really no way that I would know what I'm missing in life because I wouldn't even know that it existed. And people like uh, the guests that I have today are going to talk about what they do, mindset, championship, and how to basically bring the best out of you is the best way I could describe it. So today I have Dr. Kevin Elko. And for me to try to explain his resume would probably do a disservice. So Kevin, thank you for being on today. I appreciate it, man. I'm loving being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited myself. So thanks for all the kind things you said. All right. So- yeah, just to tell people who you are, because every time I've said your name, they're like, you know, I've, I've heard that name before, but I don't know how to place it. Could you place your name with your resume? I just call me the head coach, Steve. I just, <laughs> uh, that's what I call. I don't even know how someone just asked me that. I went on television this morning uh, to discuss, you know, interacting with children and they go, what's your title? I go, you know, I don't even know what to tell you to put there. Uh, they call me the head coach because I coached people's heads. And do that so much in NFL and NCAA and corporately, but my, my doctoral work was in performance psychology and cognitive psychology, and I just go out and coach people on how to think. So the head coach—they call me the Alabama because I'm work with Alabama head coach. Of course, Saban's the head coach. I'm the one who coaches the head, so that's I guess that's my title. And you work mostly—I mean, you're. I don't want to say claim to fame, but a lot of what you've done is working with athletes, both collegiate and professional level and, and even championships on many occasions. Uh, is this, would you say when you're working with them, is this start in the off season? Does it start when they're in high school? Does it start when they're kids or does it start in the fourth quarter when you're trying to get them to push the last limit of what they have to do? See, everything's intentionality. And listen to this phrase, neurons that fire together wire together. What you're trying to do 
even what you're doing with you with what you're doing your master class your mastermind is we're trying to get people to reprogram their mind and we're trying to reprogram our mind really for two things happy and success and we're not wired for it not naturally you have to understand see what we're wired for is safety our brain is naturally no different than our lungs than our heart than our skin it wants to keep us alive right. so it's naturally look velcro for looking what's bad we're not naturally happy we're not naturally successful we're naturally safe and secure because we're looking for what's wrong all the time so we can stay alive we've almost outlived it evolved our mind so you have to reprogram it neurons that fire together wire together simply means as i think something over and over i speak something over and over i wire my brain and i'm jumping ahead here but our brains are plastic this bottle's plastic it means if i squeeze it it'll shape the way i squeezed it you want to reshape your brain to win to do that we develop what's called scripts to do it so to your question as early as possible, we need to reshape the brain through what we speak and we think to be happy and successful. And we got to get in as early as possible in sports year round. You get them as early as possible. Once the season starts here, baby, it's too late. Yeah. You know what the Belichick say? If you're making adjustments at halftime, it's too late. So you're trying to get it as early as possible and intentionality. Everything happens before it happens. You train ahead. You train the brain before you get into the contest, before you get into the pressure. So let me ask you this. You, you work with, as you said, Nick Saban and a lot of high-level coaches and athletes. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, you have 31 championship rings. Is that correct? 32, but I'm not counting. 32, okay. So let me ask you this. Those people that were either in the teams or were part of that team, what did you notice of the – or is there a common trait with them? Did they all start at, at two years old as prodigies? Was there something in their life that drove them to be better? Like, can you find a common trait with people that are true champions? The trait, and I'll get into this after they get there, okay. is ownership, something we call nitty gritty goals. But the, I've been working with the players and athletes a long time. And I start off with the Steelers doing self-concept tests. And what you see the common trait, Steve, is they'll have one sentence. My friend Chris, who's with us today, they have one sentence they believe about themselves. And they will protect that one sentence. Martin Luther King was marching in Selma. And they said, if you do that march, we're going to turn fire hoses on you. Dogs will attack you. He said, and when you get done, I'm going to love you. You're not going to break me. You can't break them. They're unbreakable. They have this unbelievable, they have a vision of themselves. And I don't get what's wrong with believing in yourself. We're not supposed, you're not supposed to believe in you. You're, you're being cocky. No, it's, I believe in you. I believe in other people, but I have to believe in me. And so they have a concept they believe about themselves and they'll protect it. And so what you do is you go out there and Tom Brady, sixth round still had a high concept about himself and he protected it. Michael Jordan cut in ninth grade, still had a high concept about himself. And those two events did not break them with other people. They'll be broken. Wasn't made to break. And so what you'll get with those people is they're unbreakable. 
So what's the one concept when they start? Somehow, somewhere, somebody might have positively prophesied on them. They believe in themselves and they'll protect that vision. You won't crack them. And so that's really what it is. You could be Tom Brady run a 5 2 46 round, have the about, you know, the arm strength not much better than well, much better than me, because I only bench press about 90 pounds. <laughs> but they will protect it and fight to keep it. That's what you see when they start. And I've gone through air, testing every first rounder, pro bowler forever. They all believed in themselves. And you want to be careful when you're coaching them. Don't break it. You break it. I've been with the Mike Irvins. I've been with the Deion Sanders. I've been with them. I've been with Emmett Smith. Can't break them. So, okay. Now I've got a question for you. And you and I have a mutual friend, Dr. Christian Conti. Uh, I had him on the show and he and I were talking and I'm, I asked him this question. I'm going to ask you the same question. Do people that are high performers like these, like professional athletes and the coaches, are they doing this to be better or are they doing this not to be worse? Like every day, I'm a big believer that every day I wake up, I have a choice. I'm either going to be better or worse from the day and I make a decision. And some days I'm doing it that I just don't want to be worse than yesterday. I don't know where I'm going, but I know I don't want to go backwards. But when you're operating at this high speed, high velocity, and you're this high powered person and, and you know, probably they're not looking at the tail of the tape. They're just trying to be the person they are. Who are they trying to be or what are they trying to run from? If that's the case. Let's look at Adam Grant's research. I love Christian. Christian intern app with yeah. that. I'll tell him everything he knows. Yeah. Well, let's look at two different things here. Okay. Adam Grant's at Penn. There's a group of people called the strategic optimist. I see good in the future. And I visualize good in the future. And I live my life to manifest that good. I want to be better. There's another group Adam Grant talks about called the defensive pessimist. I see bad. And I do things so the bad won't happen. To research. Which one is better performer? It's the defensive pessimist. I tell people mix them both in. But pain instructs. And once you get with them, even Tom Brady would tell you, I'm still terrified of, that I might go on the bench. You know, Ted Turner, his father committed suicide because he was bankrupt. And Ted Turner keeps his bankruptcy in front, his father's bankruptcy in front of him. Mm-hmm. I like to mix them both. But when you work with the Nick Sabans, defensive pessimist. Mm-hmm. When you work with them, so I like to mix them both. I like what we call the 90-day year that you see a vision and you're becoming. But if you get at the research of it, when you really get down at it and you really boil it down and you really talk with somebody and look at the research, that defensive pessimist is there. They look at what bad can happen and they make sure they do all those things that it doesn't. So I like both, but the research says more the defensive pessimist. And let me ask you this. Is that kind of the, the driving fire that's inside of them that they're, that they're kind of almost they don't want to die out, you know, because that, that could be the reason that they are champions and the reason that they're driving. And maybe that is that fear what burns inside them to keep being as good as they could be. And if that maybe the fear is if that fire burns out, they may not be the champion that everybody wants them to be. I think that's part of it. I also think we've oversimplified motivation. And listen, let, I'll, I'll lay out this story and I'll tell you a new phrase I've been using 
and we've been using in our talks, give your feelings directions. And what you'll find a lot is the feeling of enough. That's enough. Rosa Parks, that's enough. In my own life, when my health wasn't where I was, that's enough. I draw the line. They call it the Mendoza line. I've drawn the line. And we talk a lot about standards. So watch, give your feelings directions. Part of it is exactly what you said. Part of it is the whole concept of, I mean, when you look at part of it, it's I am at this spot and I um, I don't want to go to a bad spot. But it's even more than that insofar as Francis Perkins graduated from Mount Holyoke. We teach self-talk. I was trained, Chris was trained in cognitive psychology. So Francis Perkins graduated from Mount Holyoke. Francis Perkins rose all the way up on the concept of enough and given her feelings directions. She was a nanny in, uh, in New York City and she saw a sewing factory on fire. The doors were chained shut, women burned to death. Enough. Watch this rise, Steve out of enough. She had to believe in herself. She went from a nanny to the secretary of labor for Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the first woman in any, any presidential cabinet. Now that's a rise. Right. She gave her feelings directions. Today we're, so I'm in self-pity. I'm offended. Let me cancel your career. She didn't do that. It was, she gave her feelings directions. When Michael Jordan got cut, he gave his feelings directions. I talk a lot about responsibility. Respond to what's in front of you with your abilities. So she goes to Franklin Delano Roosevelt and says, I will be your secretary of labor because I want to develop safe workplace. Now, was that her own self-concept to get started? But it was bigger than that. It was the concept of enough. I had it. That's a powerful concept. You know, she now imagine a woman today doing that, a woman then. You know, she went on to write the Social Security Act. Now, let me kind of bring everything into a gestalt because we're going to speak and do this with you. Self-talk. She graduated from Mount Holyoke. The graduation speech was simple. Remain ye steadfast. You know what she said every day of her life, all day long? Simple. And you know what they said at her funeral? One thing. Remain ye steadfast. So I think you have to believe in yourself. I think you need some purpose, something bigger than you're going to go after. Enough. And then I think you need self-talk to keep you focused. Now, here's a big thing we're talking about. We don't talk enough about today. And learn how to ignore what doesn't matter. Learn to ignore the stuff that just doesn't. There's too much mental clutter out there. Right. So it's my vision, believing I could do the vision, have faith in the vision, clearing out what's not the vision, doing my process and have myself talk that keeps me right on goal remain y'all you got me fired up now <laughs> good <clears throat> so that to me it's bigger than just the cons you're into self-concept which is huge but you got to go the next step it got to be something bigger something much bigger and as we evolve i work a lot in what they call the uh the forbes two forbes shook 250 i start with the best of the best and starts out with i want to go do something for me financially, but starts out with, I want to go serve and make a difference. That's where it goes. That's where it heads. Enough. So let me ask you this. I want to, I want to keep going down this path a little bit, because I think this is, is something that, that I try to practice. I've, I've evolved it on my own, but when you have this direction, right, the fire, you do what, what you're going towards, 
you know, you could call it anger or whatever, you know, Michael Jordan getting cut. Maybe he put that into his direction and his focus and his, you know, his Raz filter and all that stuff. But then he comes into rituals and habits. And you had mentioned this early on before we started. And, you know, I, I'm a pretty, I would say I'm a pretty disciplined person. I get up at, at you know, four o'clock every day and I, I write my I am statements and I read and I set my day and then I go to the gym and I'm pretty disciplined. I would say I'm sure I could be better, but I think we could all be better at some things. What are your thoughts and how does that affect your direction that you want to go? Having the rituals, having the habits, creating those patterns to change the trajectory of your life. You know, I've always learned that if you don't like it, change it. Very simple. Like some people go, it's not that simple. It's like, no, it really is. It really is that simple. You don't like your life, then change it. Do something different. I'm a big believer in habits, patterns, rituals. What what is your take on that? Everything. Let's talk about what you said, first of all. Let's go back to where you started. I'm going to put two words together that people don't know. They they're, they lose their mind when you put these two words together. And so you, D-Hawk created Visa, first trillion-dollar network. He, he made a classic phrase. I was talking to a friend of mine, a financial advisor yesterday about it. Watch this phrase. We don't need a good co- course today on learning. We need a good course on forgetting. Clear your mind. Yeah. So watch this. Rich DeVos started Amway. Rich DeVos got a heart transplant. Shortly thereafter, about a month after he got his transplant, he had lunch with the woman who gave him his heart. How, how was that? That's, that's the point. Watch. It happened in London. The number one heart transplant hospital in the world is in London. The woman he got the heart from, she needed a liver transplant. Now, one reason why transplants don't work is organ rejection. Her liver, didn't, the liver she got didn't match her heart. So they took her healthy heart out of her, gave it to Rich DeVos, put a heart in hers that matched her liver, they had lunch together. You heard it, goes, how's that? Because a trillion times you heard somebody's in a car wreck, they were brain dead, gave up their heart. We need reprogramming. Watch these two words that we're not programmed to accept. Positive anger. The great ones, go back to what you just said about Jordan. Go back to Brady. Go back to Francis Perkins. Positive anger. Work with the Philadelphia Eagles when they won the Super Bowl. Vegas said they're the longest odds to win it. Positive anger. You'll see people take it. I'm not talking about rage. I'm not talking about you know, going up on stage or slapping somebody. If somebody has that urge to do that as I'm speaking, let it go. I bench press 90 pounds. Don't slap the speaker. But you want to get to a point where you're saying, enough, that's where it starts. Now, we teach something called standard. Standard means this is a something I'm going to do every day, all the time. When you repeat a standard over and over and over, it becomes habit. Habit is everything. You are obviously a very fit gentleman. Think about your brain like you do your muscles. When you practice something over and over and over, it gets stronger. The same thing goes on with our mind. There's a part of your mind, prefrontal cortex. I I call it the mother box. That's who I call it the mother box. Your mother took you to the sink and brushed your teeth every single day. Now that's stored there. You don't have to think about it. You just go do it. If you could do the good things in life and develop intentional habits, it starts with a standard. 
Then we teach something called nitty gritty goals and accountability, where you get somebody to repeat it over and over and over till it becomes habit. And when your habits are powerful and they are effective, you start to win. Now, if you don't develop habits intentionally, you will inattentionally develop the bad ones, biting your nails, smoking, too much, I don't know, caffeine, you know, putting words in your vocabulary that are that throw people off and you don't realize it. So the goal is to develop intentionally. And you have to realize a lot like a muscle. I was reading where Barack Obama said, I only wore four suits a day. And they go four different, four or five different suits. And they go, why? He said, you only have so many decisions you can make a day. And I don't want to use them up on my clothes. So the more you can get into habit, the less you're using up energy to decide. It starts with standard, Steve. And then you get a group of people. We found something that I think is a breakfast of champions. We find unbelievable results. It's called nitty gritty goals, where you get a group of people, you set your standard, they're keeping you accountable to it to becomes habit. Then it's a ball game. And so I run every day. I've not missed a day. I missed about five days because of health. June 5th to June 10th in 2017, I missed about five days. But I don't miss running. I do it every day. It's sitting in my mother box. I just do it all the time. There's things I do. If you can do, keep water in there, you know, have a powerful vocabulary. But when you identify them as a standard, you do it over and over again to becomes habit. Now you've got the ball game. And I always say this, a good coach inspires. A great coach teaches habit, but it's not sexy. We want the motivational stuff, but you're right. The ball game sits in that area of habit. So let me ask you this. I got two questions on that. And the first one is when you're talking about the nitty gritty goals, the goals, in your opinion, do those come first? And then the, the habits are, are the strategy to reach those goals? Yes. I have three. I, I, I love the phrase. It was in Measure What Matters. It's from a study by Deloitte. When you run out your goals and people around you know, and they're, they're illuminated, they're transparent, they're simple, you have a 92% chance of hitting them. And we just completed a study with the top 250 financial advisors in the United States. And we did it with the top 250, then 900 outside of 250. And the difference was the top 250 on a scale one to 20, we tested them empirically because no one's looking at stuff empirical. On a scale one to 20, they were 18. Outside, it was 10. So I have three areas, healthy body. I, I help, and it gets into the nitty gritty later. I want a healthy body. I want to be here for my children. I want to feel, I don't want that monkey on my back. The second area is there was a research study done by George Valiant at Harvard. Number one factor in happy, and we should want to be happy, is close connections with other people. Some other goal is connection. My third one is to increase and keep on growing in my calling, which we're talking about here. So I said three areas. I do three by three. Those are three. And then I do three sets of nitty gritty goals. And then in my nitty gritty goals, I have three specific things I'm doing underneath one, each one of those. So it's three by three that I do with it. You set the goals first. Those are mine. Healthy body, connection, close friendships, and to keep on growing in my calling. So what I do something, it's interesting because I do something similar. I came up with uh, health, wealth, and relationships. And I think of it like a three-legged stool. And every day I write down what my 90 day goals are, which are tied to my one year goals, which are, you know, goes out further. And then I ask myself, what's one thing that I could do? And I write this down every morning. 
what's one thing I can do to achieve my health goal, my wealth goal, and my financial goal, each one. Once I get that one thing, then that goes into my calendar as a non-negotiable. And that's something that I have to do. Right. And that, to me, are my triggers that start my day that I'm like, okay, now I've got to move this around. Or that's what's more important, my non-negotiable or getting my oil changed. Well, it's, it's clear. So I, those are the triggers I have that I use for myself. Is that, are, are triggers effective, I guess, is my first question? Yeah, and I, I, you have to do, you know, there was a study done years ago. The first million dollar a year CEO in our country was Charles Schwab, which was Bethlehem Steel, early mm -hmm. 1900s. Someone came to him one day, says, I'm going to give you an idea. And if you like, just pay me for it. When you get done, he said, just write down 10 things the night before that are important. Then rank order them one through 10. And then when you start today, do number one, then number two, number three. And he, after a month, he came back. This is 1900, gave him $25,000. I like doing it the night before, but you know, keep the main thing, the main thing, and less arrows, more wood. I like what you're doing because we get, what's almost more important than our to-do list is our to-don't list. Right. And yeah. these are the things I need to do to move toward that. So keep, keep that aligned. Here's my goals. Here is my nitty gritty goals and here's my thoughts and they're all aligned to move me to this spot and Howie Haverson's work at, at uh, Columbia people that do what we're talking about are happier people listen to this quote research says people that pursue struggle are a lot happier people than those who pursue leisure and so when I'm going after it like I'm doing something effective in my day a happier person so absolutely less arrows more wood Go after the few things, but make sure they're in alignment. Goals, nitty gritty, thoughts, all going toward that one direction. So I have a question for you. Let's say, okay, let's just go down this path a little bit further, if that's okay. And you work with the team, Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Saban. They win the championship, right? They, they're the astronauts that get to the moon. They're the Olympic athletes that win the gold medal. How, you know, I, I have always, you know, I've done a reading on this subject, uh, not to your extent, but to a certain extent. And I understand there's a, a large depression after astronauts go to the moon, Olympic athletes, not a large, but, but it's common. Is that common in athletes after they win a Super Bowl, if they maybe get cut from the team or they're now with a team that's not a Super Bowl champion or high caliber? And if so, how do you get them back on in the saddle to get back to the moon? A lot of my work is, of course, with Saban. Right. You should call, you metaphorically or to talk to him afterwards. Nick, congratulations. Thanks, boss. Gonna help me do it again. Well, you just want it. Yeah, I'm talking to you and the guy talking to Fred. Thanks, boss. Wanna do it again? And I realized it's kind of like Caleb in the Old Testament. Give me a mountain to climb. I realized from, you know, just listening to him. And I realized that it's more the process of it than the accumulating of it. Do I think that you work with, there, there's two different things, Steve. There's something I call empire. Empire is different than I want it. Let me explain you empire. Empire is the Lakers with Kobe. Empire is the Bulls with Jordan. It's the, it's Brady. And it's also uh, Saban. It's not about a one-time thing. It's empire. It's we set a standard. Everybody comes together with standard. You draw a line. Nobody goes below it. 
So you watched the way that Kobe got after Jordan. You watched the way that, I'm sorry, got after Shaq. You watched the way that Jordan got after everybody. It's not a one-time thing for the great ones. Right. For others, it may be, but not for them. It's, uh, it's empire. I do it. I draw a line. We don't go below it. And they don't get down. Now, if you go with teams that they think they're going to dip their toe into it once, and that's the majority of them, one Super Bowl and we're gone, we don't see you anymore. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But not for empire. Not for the ones that say, we're here. We're here to stay. This is what we do. It's our system. And I think what you have to do is go to the process of becoming a champion, not the product of being a champion. It's the process. So it's and almost it's realized that that's something I just I, I keep hungering for. So it's almost the thrill of the hunt, not not the actual capture. That's right. That's exactly right. So now and let me we, ask you. We talk about be the lion, don't be the greyhound. Yeah. So let me ask you this now. If if somebody does win a championship and now they're boohoo and they're sad and they're, they, you know, now they're with a team that's not a champion or they didn't win the next year. Were they really a champion ever? Yeah, that's a great question. And you watch, there's very few teams that almost won the Super Bowl and lost it and came back. The only team I know that really did that was the Denver Broncos, but they changed their staff. And so I think that the, your answer is in your question that when somebody does win it and then they're good and they're over celebrating the ones I watch, they celebrate, but there's not a whole lot in the celebration. It's like, you know, it's like they say when you, you watch a team at Alabama after they win a championship, they walk off the field. You know, watch other people, it's this huge celebration. They, they're one and done. So, yeah, it's, watch this. Being a champion isn't something that you get. It's who you are. Right. And so there's very few out there have standard process and they draw what they call the Mendoza line and you don't go below it. And I, I guess I'd say again, the answer is in the question. Man, I, I love that. I just, I, I could, I could really, I could dig deeper and deeper into that conversation because I think it's so interesting. And, you know, let me ask you this, what a, a Nick Saban or a champion, let's say it's a quote unquote off season day, a, a Michael Jordan, what are they doing? What are they thinking about? Are they a normal guy? You'll see them at McDonald's with their you know, family. Are they training? What is off or is there even such a thing as off season to these true champions? There has to be somewhat of an off season because you need to be able to clear it. We're into something, you know, we're doing with our work that, uh, Actually, my friend Chris brought to me this, this listening in called the 20-mile march. Let me explain 20-mile march. Do you know about what that is? The 20-mile march is what we're finding with a lot of companies. And the, when Stryker Pharmaceutical Company, we read about this, there's been a couple of writers, when they changed the pharmaceutical rules, they came. there was a contest that happened. It was in 1900, where two men were doing a contest walk across the United States from San Diego to Maine. One said, I'm just going to go out and do a zillion miles or whatever I could do every day. The other guy said, 20 miles every day. 20 miles. Water wears the rock, as it says in joke. 20 miles. If it's a great day, 20 miles. I'm stopping at 20. If it's a terrible day, I got to fight through the rain and the sleet of Colorado, 20 miles. The group that won, the guy that won that race, one of the guys says, go all out. It was 20 miles. We have to have some Sabbath. We have to have some time. 
Because if not, you build it into your day and in your mind inattentionally. So the best you could do is how hot can I run? How hot can I keep this flame? But I keep it steady. I keep it steady. We do chopping. I keep it steady. And it's called the 20 mile march. So they know how to take time off, clear their mind. Because if you don't, then you break down. Then you do it. So they almost have it calibrated, the effort, and they know how to get away. And the phrase we use, learn how to be where your feet are to do those sort of things. Do they have off days? Yeah, when they train, they go. But they know how to stop. They know how to pull it back. That's why you watch some people come in, they've had different backgrounds and they were doing different things in their previous life. And they come and try to, to speak in the world you're in, doesn't work. Because I get it, that was your job before, or that was a branch of military you were in before, and that's what you had to do before 24 seven. Then you get out here and I've got relationships and balance and those sort of things. And it's a challenge. So you almost have to stay with the 20 mile march in the real world. Right. And athletically, it's the same thing. You have to realize that when I prepare, I need an intensity. So Cal Newport Jr. used to be the 10,000 hours rule. He came out of MIT, said, no, it's when they practice, they have laser focus. And he combated a 10,000 hour rule by saying, he first did it with students, now with others, that they are laser when they study, they're laser when they practice, therefore they don't need the 10,000 hours. So when you're laser when you're practicing and you're laser when you're doing your job, you don't need all that much. You do need it, but not every minute of the day. And you know how to clear your mind so you can come back with energy. You know, the, the, the 20 mile march reminds me, I remember reading a, a term about picking to the stick. And that was when the sharecroppers would have to pick all day long cotton or whatever it was. And they would just throw the stick and they just knew they had to get to the stick. And that was picked to the stick. And that's what they did to get through the fields all day long. And that was just, again, very similar. Instead of looking at this huge field, they're just going, where's the stick? And that's where they got to go to. So uh, I'm still on that one. Yeah, there you go. Take it three. Um, let me... What is your take on balance? Now, can I, can I tell you my perception? And you can tell me if I'm totally wrong. Which is fine. So my perception of balance, people say like, oh, Steve, you need balance. Like I say health, wealth, relationship, you know. Um, I don't believe that there's such a thing in, as balance. I think that, uh, you know, as you know, my background being a commercial airline pilot, I tell people, okay, would you want me learning to juggle when I'm landing a Boeing 777 aircraft? No. But I'm going to go, but I'm balanced. I'm, having, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to balance my life. I'm a bigger believer that I need to focus, be intentional at what I'm doing, and then focus more on pivoting, stopping that, focusing on family, friends, and then health. And I, I do not, I'm not a big believer in the word balance. I think that's a term that people say to make themselves feel better when they're not doing the things that they should do. But I'm curious your perspective from a, a professional level, working with professional athletes. Am I wrong? Is there such a thing as balance of having this harmony or is it focus, pivot, focus, pivot or whatever the term may be? I agree with you. I'll tell you why. Years ago, this financial advisor came up to me and he said, every day I'm going to be home at six o'clock, something like that. And he had two young children. 
one day he had to work till like eight. And when he came home at eight o'clock, he went up and made sure he played with his kids before he went, they went to bed. You know, his kids said to him, dad, can you work eight o'clock every night? He didn't realize what was going on. He was home. He wasn't doing anything. He was watching television or messing around. But when he came home, he, what you said, pivoted, be where your feet are. What's important now? Train your mind to be where you are when you are there. And I think I agree with you when you're there, be there. Now, I mean, you can't be extreme. You can't want to raise children and be, and never be home zero, you know, but you, when you are there, be there. And I think it's more of a mindfulness problem. When you're there, be mindful, be where you are. We have, we have a couple epidemics and one of them is distracted. We're so distracted these days. And you're right. When I land this plane, I can't be distracted. I have to be where I am. I think it's more a mindfulness issue than it is a balance issue. We are very, because of the phones, the iPhones, everything else, we are all so distracted. And so they had a, they had a study done, I think it was out of Baylor, said that the phone is the number one cause of divorce. Well, people aren't able to sit with one another. And now our minds operating like a machine, not a human being. And so I, I'm in concurrence with you. Yeah, I don't know if your phone could do it because I've seen your phone, so it may not be able to get on the social media, but I get I get the idea. Um, and I agree with you. I, I 100%, I think the distractions, you know, you know, when we're in the flight deck or you're talking to a team, I'm sure you would not want anybody on their phone doing anything when you're talking to them. Same with me, right? And, you know, the last thing you'd want is somebody taking a phone call while they're they're, you know, doing something important. And I think that people don't realize it's how you do the little things is how you do everything in my opinion. And when you see them doing these little things and these little distractions, I'm like, that's how you live your life. Like you may not realize it, but in my opinion is it's well, number one, it's a matter of respect, you know, when you're standing in front of someone and that's a, that's another conversation, which I think is lacking in a lot of people. But I just feel that a lot of people, well, I think there's distractions, right? I think we have a lot of distractions coming at us. I remember reading something and they said that there was 94 channels every, like every, I think it was every 30 seconds, there are 94 channels of information trying to get at us. So you are constantly, basically nonstop trying to push these distractions away from you, whether it's TV, social media, whatever it is. How, how do professional athletes, how do you explain to block these distractions from getting at you and taking over you? Nothing will determine what you accomplish in 2022 more than what you have, key phrase coming, trained your mind to ignore. We're talking about goals here. That's fabulous. We're talking about process. Fabulous. The game today is ignoring. And it's you, if you can't train your mind to ignore, I do with self-talk. They did a study of Stanford and it's kind of related to this. They took young people and shot positive and negative imagery at them. They were on an MRI, their brains fired. They took older people that were effective and happy. They shot positive imagery, their brains fired. Negative imagery, didn't notice. You have to train, like you do in the gym, your mind, what not to pay attention to. And I use a phrase. Your friend Tony always used this phrase. It came, I, I do through self-talk. And I use this one phrase. There was a study done by Walter Mischow where he had these kids play with 
toys if they stayed focused they play with good toys on a task put these pegs on the board then they had these people uh had electronic clown in front of them they're four years old and come play with me come be with me and all these kids had equipment iq he watched for 25 years the ones who kept their head down 240 points high, higher on their SATs. Almost everyone had an advanced degree by the time they're 29. Two standard deviations above the mean in their finances. The ones who kept looking at the clown, few got out of high school, in and out of correctional institutions, were still dependent on their parents financially 29. Here's a phrase I use all the time, and I use it in a broad sense. I say it's constant myself. Don't look at the clowns. Now, Let's let's talk about something about balance. Um, I got him. I I worked hard to get where I am. That I am, you know, Bon Jovi, wanted, dead or alive. Don't don't be upset when your plate's full. When one day you pray to eat. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I got a fight. I, I got I got I got people texting me nonstop as I'm talking to you for multiple, for dates that I'm already quadrupled about ask for. So at the same time, you do have to fight to get your own time by yourself to just calm and steal your mind. They call it tunneling. And the phrase tunneling means we tend to pay attention to stuff right now. Even our minds are more set up like alarm fire than say, you know what? I got to look at my investments. I got to get some downtime. You know, I got to get this procedure taken care of. You do want to make sure you take some time that you don't do off tunneling. Boom, boom, boom. Because if I get on the phone with a couple of different people trying to schedule me, it's tunneling time. I got to get off the phone. I can't take this no more. They got a different agenda than I do. You got to fight to get some time off to yourself. At the same time, pay attention to all of the different clowns. And I mean, when I say clowns, it's anything that isn't goals, nitty gritty goals, and my thinking that moves me toward it. If you, if, I do a prayer every day when I jog every morning, Steve. Don't let my mind go to anything today I can't do anything about. Hmm. I do it every morning. People ask me why I pee about something. I don't have one. What do you think about Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban fighting? I don't. On purpose, I don't. I don't let my mind go to that fight. I talk to both of them because y'all just learn how to get along. But I don't go there because I don't want to have it. I care about both of those people. I try to stay out of it. I'm from West Virginia. I very much try to keep my mind a simple place and it works well there. I love it. I love it. Let me ask you, what do you want when all this is done, right? When, when Dr. Kevin Elko is sunsetting and, and you're you know, living on the West Virginia farm and you're relaxing, what do you most want to be known for? My son's best friend at 19 died of leukemia two Fridays ago. When he first got diagnosed, I was the first one he called. When he, when St. Jude called him and said the protocol isn't working, I was the first one he called. When Chuck, my book, The Sender, when Chuck Pagano was diagnosed with leukemia, First one he called. When Andy Reid's son overdosed from fentanyl and died, shortly thereafter, I was one of the first he called. When my friend Tom Myslinski, the strength coach of Jaguars, got diagnosed with cancer, 
I played football, Steve, for 13 years. I think I sat the bench 11 years. I might have started him two years in Midget League. I was captain almost every year. Why am I on the bench? I think I chose the wrong parents. But when they're hurt, when someone's hurting, that boy called me and he had 48 hours to go. And I got in from working in Philadelphia, speaking of Morgan Stanley and New York life. And his dad called and he was, the cancer just, the leukemia turned. We thought we had a miracle and it turned. He had, that boy knew he had 48 hours and he taught me a couple things. He taught me how to have faith. He taught me how to fight for every inch of life. Steve, when they told him his life was over, he smiled. And I don't want to get real deep here, but I thought, because I sat at the grave of his father, with his father on, sat on Saturday, you know what I think he taught? He also taught me how to die. He did it with faith. He nodded his head. There could be tears, well, no tears. He just held everybody's hands to bring everybody in. When he was told he wasn't going to make it, he said, would you please call Mr. Elko? I want him to be with me. Yeah, I've got rings, you said when we started. Was somebody's hurting? I want Kevin Elko's name in their mind. That's what I want. I want, I called him. Now you got me crying. I'm sorry, I, man. No, That's no, a pretty, gosh, no, 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 no. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't make me cry. You allowed me to. But that's what I want to be. I get, look, I'm living well. I have more house than I need. I got money, but I drive a Ford Explorer with a dent in it. I'm good with that. You know, I just wasn't all caught up with that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But that's what I want to be. He was the one I called. That's what I want. I want to be the guy that is on the other end. I'm in a bad spot, Kevin. Will you come sit with me? I'm in a place where I just lost hope. Will you come sit with me? My son was just diagnosed with leukemia. I was just diagnosed with leukemia. My son just overdosed. And I was out the other day, Saturday, with another family, and their son died of fentanyl overdose. And Antoinette and Sam, their son, Sal, and two o'clock in the morning, they called me when he did, and I went right over it. That's what I want to be, Steve. I want to be the guy, that's the guy I want to call. When that boy called me, said, I just got diagnosed. When he first was diagnosed, he was 15 years old. He'd been fighting this thing for five years and finally lost that fight. He was in the emergency room. The minute they diagnosed, call Mr. Elko, please. That's what I want to be known for. That's what I want to think about. I was the one they called. And that is pretty powerful, I got to say. And, uh, you know, in many, many ways, honorable as well, I would say, for them to think of you as that person, you know, not just in sports and, you know, uh, psychology and, and feeling good, but actually when you're hurting to have someone to call and be that person that the first one they think of, which is, I would say, honorable um, and honored to be able to be that person. So obviously you have a gift that no one else can give uh, that clearly when you keep being the person, you're doing something that I would say is, you know, you are doing something that no one else could give people, which I would say is a gift by definition. So you should be very proud of having that gift, I would say. Um, I don't know if it's a gift, but something that my, uh, my, I watched my mother do it. I was raised that way. We lived in a little town, a little coal mine town. And anytime something happened, somebody lost someone, 
she would say, you won't see me for three days. I'll be sitting with that family. So maybe it is, Steve, but we have a phrase we use, match me. Watch what I do and match me. And I'm just matching my mother. Hey, that's, that's, uh, that's good enough right there, right? Well, Kevin, uh, gosh, I can't believe we've already been on the, all this time. I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, real quick, can you give a quick synopsis of what amazing information you're going to be sharing for the people that either want to come to Houston or that will wish they came to Houston, what the great Dr. Kevin Elko is going to share uh, with no, not us. The great, not the great Dr. Kevin. The great Dr. Kevin Elko. What we're going to do is we're going to teach you how to reprogram that brain to be happy and win. We're going to teach you the power of language and how winners get a go-to script. We're going to teach you how to script and speak out loud and speak to yourself that you program your brain for happy and winning and victory. And we're going to teach you the whole power of developing an internal script and speaking it till you program your mind to win and enjoy life, to go, to go and get resiliency. In our study, we looked at vision, resiliency, and connection as the three factors in people that are happy and successful. Why be a miserable success? So we're going to teach you the three factors and how to program your brain for resiliency, how we're resilient, stay in our vision, and how to connect with others. And we're going to have a good time. Come on in. We're going to hang out and go to the next level. And we might even say roll tide a couple of times. Nice, man. I am. I tell you what, selfishly, I am so excited to have you come because I want to talk to you, pick your brain, you know, eat a meal with you and, and get to know you more. So Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. I want to be respectful. I apologize for going over a couple of minutes. Uh, yeah, um, that was a, a great story. And, you know, just the amount of knowledge and information that you share with people, not just here, but in general, I, I would say you you are definitely a special soul. And I, I think you're doing something special for people. And, you know, the the things that you are giving, the knowledge you give is, is beyond measure. And uh, you should be very proud of what you do, who you are and who you help, because I think it's it's something that will be cherished and remembered for a very long time. Well, you're kind. I, I appreciate everything. I've got to work on some of these other things as well at the same time. Just keep on getting better, but thank you, are kind. We all do. We all do. All right, everybody. Well, this is another episode of High Stakes with Steve Rosenberg, along with Dr. Kevin Elko. want to thank everyone for watching. We will be back next week. For those of you that want to know more about our Houston three-day mastermind, you can go to my website, steverosenberg.com. And there you will see all about Dr. Kevin Elko, Weldon Long, and T.W. Mock guest speakers in Houston, June 15th, 16th, and 17th. We'll see you guys there. Dr. Kevin Elko, thank you very much. And we'll see you, you all next job. week. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please make sure that you like, you subscribe, and you share this out for other people. If you want to know more, just go to my website, steverosenberg.com. I'd love to meet you and learn more about what you're doing.